it is all about love and loyalty or faithfulness is inherent to love. It is about loving God and about loving those that love Him and that the Holy Spirit is what makes this unity through the Lord possible. The Spirit that is given to us when we effectively and literally repent and convert from all of our sins and make Jesus the Lord of our lives. There is nothing metaphorical in all of this. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. Today we'll be talking about loyalty to the Lord and to those that serve Him earnestly. Loyalty is something every person desires. Without loyalty, nothing of value can ever be accomplished and or achieved. It is something intrinsic to all existence. It is an inherent characteristic of love. There can be no true love without loyalty because you have to be able to trust the one you love. And there can only be trust when there is loyalty. And so when a person is loyal to God, then they will attain what God has for those that love him. Today's message is inspired on 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Blessed Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord God, I praise you and I worship you, O Lord. Lord, I praise you. I give you thanks for all of your goodness and your mercy. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Lord, I pray for forgiveness. I pray that you may always remember us in your mercy and in your grace. Please forgive us our sins, Heavenly Father. I pray, Heavenly Father, Lord God, for the guidance of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Heavenly Father, for your divine inspiration. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you may help us to have open hearts, Lord God. Heavenly Father, help us to learn how to be loyal, to be faithful to you, and to those that serve you and follow you, Heavenly Father. Help us, O Lord, to do those things that bring you honor and glory, and that truly show our love to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today's key passage reading can be found in Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with the pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. 
For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. In today's passage, we see examples of loyalty and unfortunately of people that turn away and abandon God and his people. In Timothy's family, for instance, we can see a loyalty of faithfulness to God that remains throughout the generations. We see that the faith of the Lord starts with Lois, Timothy's grandmother. Then his mother Eunice continues taking on and abiding in that faith. And of course, Paul is talking to this Timothy where he says that he also is persuaded that Timothy has this faith. And if we read these two letters to Timothy from Paul, we see that this Timothy is someone very special in the faith and that he is being instructed in ways that will make him that much stronger to be prepared for the challenges that are already there and for the ones that will be coming. And those that are making the decision to abide, we see a faithfulness that endures hardship. It does not appear that maintaining this faithfulness to the Lord is easy. And we can tell because some people did abandon the faith. Paul mentions these people in Asia that turned away from him, and he mentions the names of Phagellus and Hermogenes. Yet we see that he mentions this Onesiphorus, and that even travels to different places to find Paul and to help him in his dire situations. Through the passage, we can tell that Onesiphorus helped Paul in Ephesus and in Rome. I guess the question we should ask ourselves is, why do some abide and others turn away? Why do people like Paul and Timothy, Lois, Eunice, and Onesiphorus abide in this faith in the Lord and people like Phagellus and Hermogenes do not? Why the difference? One of the definite answers we can glean from the Word of God is that it depends on a person's focus. If a person is focused on the world, a person will abandon the Lord and those that follow him. Look at those in Asia Paul refers to. But if a person is set on Christ, they will abide in the Lord and support those that are like-minded. This is what determines whether a person will abide in the Lord or fall away at some point. Their priorities, their inclinations, ultimately where they're mainly interested in. We are taught in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit holds us as believers together, but we must keep strong those things that belong to God in our lives. For instance, we read in John chapter 17 where Jesus prays for all of us for the disciples and those that would follow after, where it says, I do not pray for these alone, but I also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect, in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. The Holy Spirit is that glory that makes us to be united in Christ, but we must abide. The Bible says that we must be of a same mind, 
that we must have a similar way of thinking, if you will. And of course, all centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what should be happening in our lives to not only abide in his faith, but united as one through the power of the Holy Spirit. The word of God also warns us that we cannot quench the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Now we exhort your brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. How can we quench the Holy Spirit? The word quench gives the idea that it's like throwing water on a fire. And we know that if you throw enough water on a fire, that a fire can go out, that it can be terminated. What can then quench the Spirit? Allowing sin to run our lives can affect the Holy Spirit and to the point that it will affect the fire or the burning, if you will, of His presence. That's why not taking sin seriously is not an option for a person that truly wants to be saved and go the distance with the Lord. There are those that preach that all you have to do is just believe in Christ and that's it. That it's, that's what saves you. But that is not what the Word of God teaches. For Christ to come into a person's heart, into their very center, there must first be a complete repentance and conversion from all sins, a complete turning away from sins. It means that there must be at least a fully determined desire to want to leave sin behind, to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that a person will be perfect and that they will stop sinning instantaneously because the truth is that we will sin until the day we die. But what it does mean is that you set yourself on a course to Christ with a commitment to leave sin behind and effectively be transformed continually by the Holy Spirit as you let him work in your life. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the work, but you must make the decision and abide in that decision to let him work in your life. God will never force anyone. Even when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, there is still free will. That's why we saw that there were people that abided in the faith and there were people that fell away from the faith. We see that there is a definite choice involved to persist, to be determined in our faith in Christ or for people to leave and go somewhere else. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, it explains to us what should happen in our lives if we want to pursue Christ, if we want to go the distance with the Lord, where it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, 
There is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Throughout this passage, we see godly counsel, consequence, and the implication of free will. Paul starts by saying, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He doesn't say something like, don't worry, because it will all happen by itself. There isn't a spiritual cruise control, if you will, expressed in this passage anywhere. And we see that the very thing that can quench the spirit is if we allow to be led by the lust of our flesh, the evil desires or sin that resides within us. Paul then enumerates examples of things that the flesh is after, but gives a rather stern warning that if a person practices these things like adultery, fornication and cleanness and so on, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does practice mean? It means when something becomes a lifestyle, a way of life. For instance, if a person commits one or some of these things and repents with their whole heart, there is forgiveness because it is not a practice or a custom or a lifestyle. But if a person dwells in these things or are held captive by one or some of these things, even though they may be a child of God, because a child is the only one that can inherit something, they will not be allowed to inherit the kingdom of God. So this notion that many people have that you are saved no matter what you do is out the window, if you will. A person that wants to enter the kingdom of God cannot practice sin or lead a sinful lifestyle. The other thing we must bear in mind, and that's why it's so important to be led by the Spirit and to put away the works of the flesh, is because although God can forgive these things that can happen every now and then, there can still be natural consequences to these wrongful actions. Forgiveness does not imply that a person may be freed from what may naturally happen or follow these sins. For instance, if a person commits adultery and if their spouse catches them, they can be divorced by the offended party and a family can be broken apart. As a matter of fact, God allows for divorce to happen if there is infidelity. The offended party can divorce their spouse with God's blessing if they choose to do so. It's the same thing with fornication, with sex before and or outside of the marriage. Even if you do it once, there can be natural consequences like an unplanned pregnancy, a sexually transmitted disease, the corruption of a healthy relationship, and or the mental degradation of what a healthy relationship should consist of. The moment a person sleeps with another in a manner that is not consistent with what the Word of God teaches, the very least that happens within them is a disfigurement of what should constitute a healthy relationship before marriage. Mentally and psychologically, they are no longer the same. That's why you have people that get into relationships or judge that they are in a good relationship for all the wrong reasons. Breaking that physical purity does something within them, within their thinking, within the way they see things. They are not thinking clearly anymore. And of course, if you look at the other works of the flesh, they all have the potential to produce consequences if these sinful things drive you to action, even if they only happen once. Uncleanness refers to doing those things that affect you physically, that affect your health. Lewdness can lead to adultery and or fornication. Committing idolatry, which means trusting in something or someone outside of the Lord, even for a moment can have dire consequences because that could lead to a life-changing decision that could alter the course of your life. Sorcery or witchcraft, now what does that constitute? Sometimes people think that it's like the cartoons and that it consists of magic spells or formulas. 
It is those things like black or white magic for getting involved with the occult, but it also relates to drug use, to the use of mind-altering substances. In the Greek, the more exact word is pharmakia. That's where we get the word pharmacy from. So sorcery involves drug use, whether it's marijuana or cocaine or whatever other mind-altering substance, even the legal kind that doctors prescribe all of the time. And of course, using such substances can cause addiction or produce consequences that we can regret for the rest of our lives. Again, God can forgive a mishap, an accident, or something that doesn't happen on a regular basis, but the natural consequences can still be there and they can remain with you for the rest of your physical life. And what's worse, if they become habitual problems or lifestyle decisions, any one of these things can keep you from inheriting or entering God's kingdom. And you never know when you can be overtaken and controlled by any of these things. That's why the wise thing to do is to flee from these things. Run away. Don't play with them. Don't experiment. Never think that you are stronger than them. Never underestimate the weaknesses of your flesh or the lust thereof because any one of these things can change the course of your life here and what's worse, in eternity. That's why the Apostle Paul, precisely being led by the Holy Spirit of God, gives us this very wise counsel to walk in the Spirit, to live a Spirit-filled life, to search for and practice the fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Notice that self-control is within the fruit of the Spirit, that when we are led by the Spirit, we're not going to be out of control. We have the power through the Spirit to break with anything that can try to overpower us. Through Christ, we have true freedom from sin. This is why the Word says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will be not brought under the power of any. This is one of the countless benefits we have through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That we are truly free to do anything. That we are not anymore under the power of sin in our lives and that nothing in this world can hold us hostage anymore. We are made completely free to do the Father's will, which is the only thing that can open the door to eternity and to receiving the eternal rewards that are reserved for those that love Him. And here's where we come back to our original point about the loyalty or faithfulness that we need to have for the Lord and that in turn generates a loyalty or faithfulness to those that love and serve the Lord. When we are driven by the Spirit of God, when we have submitted our will unconditionally to Him, we will learn how to love the Lord. And in that love, loyalty is inherited. It's a part of that love. When you truly love someone, you are loyal to them. That's why it is essential to love the Lord. Because if you don't love the Lord, we will not be saved. We will not have eternal life. We always need to remember that Christ did not come to do away with the law and the prophets, but actually to fulfill them. And so a follower of Jesus Christ will fulfill the law through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The foundation for everything in the Lord is love. For it is written, Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And if we love God, the Lord himself establishes 
that if we love him, then we need to love our brethren, to love those that are of the same faith. There is no other way. And this passage wraps it all together, for it is also written in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And so it is all about love and loyalty or faithfulness is inherent to love. It is about loving God and about loving those that love him and that the Holy Spirit is what makes this unity through the Lord possible. The spirit that is given to us when we effectively and literally repent and convert from all of our sins and make Jesus the Lord of our lives. There is nothing metaphorical in all of this. We need to repent and convert from all of our sins. We need to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. We need to submit to his lordship and to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn how to love God for all he has done for us and above all things. And we need to love those that love him. These are all things that are essential, that are requirements if we are to see eternity that can only be found through the Lord Jesus Christ. Love for the Lord is the key to everything. And in loving him, there must be an unwavering faithfulness, a loyalty that is immovable. When we truly love someone, we're not ashamed of them. Actually, quite the contrary, we're proud of them. We celebrate that relationship openly for all to see. This is why the Lord compares our relationship with him with marriage. A man and a woman come together one day to become united, to become one in a public ceremony before God and man and they exchange vows publicly, and they even give each other symbols that they wear publicly to show all who see them that they belong to each other. It's not a secret, but actually it's something quite open and explicit. And of course, there should be an extreme loyalty and faithfulness between both, that there shouldn't be even be the thought of being intimate with anyone else. Our relationship with the Lord should be very similar. And Jesus put it in this way. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, also will confess before the angels. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And we read in the Bible that this loyalty transcends confession, that it goes beyond. The Bible says this in the book of Romans, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And so our faith in Christ not only has to do with confessing him publicly, but also living and if necessary, dying for him. The reason for our existence should be the Lord. Now, why should it go to that extreme? If necessary, to even have to die for the Lord to prove our loyalty, because that is the same loyalty and determination, and ultimately, the love that God showed us through His Son, Jesus Christ. John chapter 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. 
and of course a passage that everyone pretty much knows. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the passage continues revealing God's intention like this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God being a righteous and holy God could have condemned the world. He could have said, forget it all. I'll just do it all over again. But he didn't do that. He gives us all the opportunity for salvation. He loved the world without exception. And so he gives everyone the chance, the opportunity, the free will to decide for themselves their own fate. And he opened a wide door, an ample entrance into his kingdom, something that we had no right to, no access, because of our sins, through the person of Jesus Christ. The greatest example of love anyone could ever give us was the cross. God the Father allowed for his only begotten Son, the very being that is most special to him, to become the sacrifice for those of us that were his enemies. And yes, when we have not surrendered our lives to God through Christ Jesus, we are his enemies. That is why God is the ultimate measure for love, for mercy, for grace. Though we were his enemies, he chose out of his own free will to love us and to give us forgiveness, the opportunity for a new life through the shedding of the blood of his only begotten son, Jesus. And so the only way we can even come close to being fair to him is by giving over our lives to him. It is not an equal transaction. Our lives are nothing compared to the Lord's life, but it is all we have. And if we give him our life, he is good enough to accept it through the grace we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding all of this, how could we not be loyal or faithful to the Lord, even to the point of giving it all up, to surrendering our lives to him and for him? If a person cannot value what God gives them and be loyal to him for all of it, I tell you that they deserve what is coming to them. Just like the Apostle Paul said, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy God, I give you thanks, O Lord, for your love and your mercy and your grace. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks because you are so faithful and loyal and above everything, loving to us, Lord God. We were your enemies, yet you chose to love us and you gave your Son, Jesus Christ, for us. Heavenly Father, help us to learn to be able to return that love to you. Help us to learn to be fair to you, Lord God. Help us, O oh Lord, to be able to understand that we need to be loyal and faithful to you, Lord God, as much as we can, Lord God, and also to learn that we need to be faithful and loyal to those that love you and follow you, Lord God, that we are to be a family in Christ, through the unity of the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your love and your goodness and your mercy. Help us, O oh Lord, to become more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.